Welcome, friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. Our smart, loving conversation today is about passing on the faith. And my guest today is Kiara Black, mum of three toddlers, a doctoral student in international relations, and a longtime contributor to Cath Family, an online resource supporting families and catechesis in passing on the faith. She also happens to be our daughter. So welcome, Kiara. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Hi, Mom. <laughs> this is um, the first time I've interviewed a family member, so it's really um, good fun. But for those of you um, who don't know much about CAF Family, which is another little project that we've been running for over a decade now, it's a, a resource for families to support parents and catechists and teachers who use it a lot as well in just passing on the faith and really trying to make the faith fun and bring it alive in the home. And Kiara has been a contributor to Cath Family for many, many years. She worked in our office for some time. So she's in the unusual position of kind of having a multi-generational experience. She was the recipient as our daughter of some of the experiments that we <laughs> did in our family and trying to find effective ways to pass on the faith. Then she's worked in as a creator in in crafting and designing resources to share on that resource. And now as a mum, she's also applying them into her own family. So um, really looking forward, Kiara, to hearing your perspectives and learning from your experience. Um, before we get into the topic, um, we like to start, Kiara, just by sharing a little bit um, about our walk with the Lord in the past week or so. Um, I'll just throw it open first and then you can join in. One of the things I've learned about myself has been studying for, I've just completed a course in the Australian Institute of Company Directors. And I must admit, there's a my I've been confronted again with my perfectionism, which has been a, obviously a lifelong struggle to try and tame that beast. It's um it's a bit of a taskmaster, the perfectionism. Lots of people suffer from it, I suppose, and it serves us in some ways. But there's also just some academic snobbery that I found myself being confronted with. So I, I, I was taking some of that to prayer and trying to let go of of the need to not just pass it, but to smash it. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I have to say I could refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist for that reason. So that's I entirely sympathise with that need and being confronted with that often <laughs> kind of not so pretty part of yourself um sort of runs in families i think somehow oh, sorry about know, that one it must be genetic is it genetic or is it is it is it nurture who it's, knows for me it's i mean look i'm i'm in survival mode really we've had two weeks of the flu run through mm. our family so with all three kids being sick at once and um you know all three kids under five being sick and then i'm me being sick so it's more been trying to find where Jesus happens to be in the midst of all the snot and coughing and tears and uh you know I mean he's there somewhere it's it's like <laughs> light a candle but in this your case it's snot candles it's kind yeah. of like still trying to find the sacred in those <laughs> yeah you don't want to light those at all um <laughs> you've had <laughs> lots of them though oh, oh dear you still got a few of them hanging around so let's dive into our topic, passing on the faith to our children. Yeah, um, want to start, I've got a couple of different sort of angles I thought we could unpack this topic, Kiara. So I just thought we'd start by looking at the home as a general approach. And I guess a lot of families, Catholic families, they have a fairly minimalist approach in terms of their faith. They attend Sunday Mass. They'll do the big feast, Christmas and Easter and, you know, a few of the others. Grace before meals. They'll send their kids to Catholic schools. They might have a personal devotion, you know, pray the rosary on their way to work or whatever. And there might be a bit of a sense of tick, you know, met my obligations. The thing with that is that there's not necessarily a whole lot of fun in that kind of expression of faith. And because it's not sort of fun, it can be a bit dry and therefore it won't be as effective in terms of, passing it on to the next generation. If we want to kind of get our children engaged in the faith, we have to kind of lift a little bit beyond that. And um, it's not to say that that's not great to do that, but I was just thinking, what do you do and how are you approaching this with your children? It's still really early days. The eldest is four and a half. So you've got a long way to go on this front. And I can't say that our track record has been a you know perfect in terms of its outcomes. But lots of parents like us and now like you are wrestling with this whole thing of how do we 
just live faith in the home in a way that is going to be effective, I guess, in in terms of attracting our children. What's your thoughts? I mean, first of all, it needs to be said that parents, for those of you who have not heard this before, parents are the primary, uh, the primary educators of your child. It is your job to educate your child in the faith. It is your job, first and foremost, to catechise your child. It is your job as a parent to ensure that they, that your children know who Jesus is and know that he loves them and wants to be with them in the church. That's like, that's your job. Like, sorry, parents, mm. you can absolutely bring other people in, whether they be teachers, whether they be catechists, grandparents, other people. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with you and you will be accountable to the, you will be accountable to God at the end of your life of, did you raise your child in the faith? So um, no pressure. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's right. I'm just sitting here going, oh, well, <laughs> fail, so, <I> maybe. Mean, <laughs> No, no, no pressure, no pressure. But what that looks like is not going to look the same for every family in Mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. And this is one of the beautiful things about Catholicism is that there is a smorgasbord of devotions in both the Eastern tradition and the Western tradition that allow us to create a family faith life um, Mm -hmm. that is unique to our family and to the various needs and personalities of the individuals within the family and to have a domestic church that looks like no other domestic church. So, you know, there's a lot of fun that can be had and there's a Catholic devotion for every person. There's a Catholic devotion for every family. And so the question is, if your faith is important to you, if it's an important part, you've got to make it part of your family culture. So I don't know if you guys have come across Mike and Alicia Hernan with the Messy Family Messy Family podcast. They've got great stuff on family culture and being who you are as a family so where the blacks and the blacks do x and um which is a great thing especially when you've got little kids and they come home and they go ask oh mum, so and so does this why don't we do that and like because we're the blacks and the blacks do this instead mm. or um you know why or you know worse mom why do we have to go to mass because we're the blacks and the blacks go to mass on sunday like it's just creating that kind of um, so that speaks a bit into, I guess, the sense of, of, I mean, culture is more than routine, but routines can be really good in terms of they establish an expectation and yeah. uh, and they, they, they're reflective, I suppose, of the culture, but they're also part of the way that we build a culture. Exactly. And we've always thought that. best tool. Yes, that they should be simple. Um, they should be of, of appropriate length for the age of the children. So we don't want to be doing, you know, one-hour marathon prayer sessions with toddlers oh, before they go to bed, yeah, uh, for example. Yeah, no, don't do that to yourself. I don't even think I want to do that as an adult, frankly. I mean, <laughs> if it's time to go to bed, it's time to go to bed. It's yeah. great to be thinking of the Lord at that time, but maybe not for a one-hour prayer session. Not um, even unless, not even unless you're a hermit. brothers do an hour marathon prayer time before they go to bed. Their night prayer in the liturgy of the hours takes 10 minutes yes, <laughs> like, yes exactly if nuns and um, brothers don't have to do it you don't either <laughs> yeah but that daily rhythm we found that was really helpful because it set up an expectation mm. with your children when you were younger around well this is what happens after dinner and when we're getting ready for bed we you know gather together on somebody's bed which whoever was the lucky person and mm. we said our prayers together or whatever it was or on Sundays um, after we went to mass, we had a tradition of going to get ice cream or to get a treat. It was part of, you know, the package deal. And we didn't tie it to being good at mass. We just tied it to going to mass so that it wasn't behaviorally linked. Uh, so those routines, I think, are good, but keep them simple. And uh, I guess the other thing that we did that we found helpful was we always like to have a sacred space of some sort in the home. Mm. So just somewhere where we could have... Um, you know, a, a holy picture, a crucifix, or an icon, a statue of Mary. You know, we could put a candle. We could make it a little bit of a focus, and we like to have that in in a fairly central part of the home. We actually have accumulated over the years lots of different figurines and things. It's, and it's now we've now got the Jesus shelf and the Mary shelf, and because um, I don't like to throw anything out. But that little just sacred space is just a it's that constant reminder. I don't know what your impressions of that as a child were, Kiara. I mean, I remember having that and it just being a normal part of the home. Like you were like we also had lots of religious art mm. around the home as well. So, you know, mum, your icons were, you know, adorned the walls and, you know, it was just like it was weird to me anyway, seeing a home without 
religious artwork. Um, so that's kind of a yeah. It it doesn't seem like much, but it is. It it does leave an impression, and it does establish for your kids, you know, what's kind of normal, you know, and especially for little kids, they are so tactile. They need to have something physical. It's a picture. A, you know, ro- rosary beads in their hands, mm-hmm. or prayer beads in their hands, you know, even just paper and pictures and things they can look at. Like my seven-month-old is really into scrunching paper at the moment. So yeah. even at a very young age like that, you can be leaving impressions about, you know, image impressions as she, like, consumes the paper. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and so all that stuff, I think having a prayer space, even if you have a teeny tiny apartment, you still have a bit of wall that you could put a shelf, a very small shelf on, that you could put a picture up. Um, And if you've got more space, you can do something more elaborate Mm -hmm. and you can absolutely make it to Mm -hmm. your taste in terms of what it might look like. And it can be, or it could be, you know, something really important to you and your family and Mm -hmm. to your, you know, particular cultural artistic tradition as well. So there's all sorts of stuff you can do. And that'd be like, you know, three things to get you started on taking your faith more seriously, especially if you're say a convert or a revert, or you're just, you know, you, you feel, you feel called to do this. One, find a spot in your living room or your kitchen kitchen or your family area where you can set up a little prayer nook, um, whether it's a, you know, just a picture on the wall um, or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone can hang up a picture on their wall. Doesn't matter whether you rent or you own the place, you can always put a picture up. Two would be to find one prayer you can do and attach it to something you already do. So if you want to form a new habit, you attach it to something that you're already doing. Your kids are going to bed. Your kids are brushing your teeth and going to bed. So that's a good opportunity as part Mm. of the bedtime routine to introduce something very simple. It could just be a simple Hail Mary. It could be Mm. a minute rosary for our family. We do the minute rosary at bedtime because that's pretty much all the kids have patience for. And even then, it's chaos. Um, I've seen videos. They're very entertaining to watch from a distance. Maybe not so entertaining for you in the space. And and we end our rosary with Lord grant us a quiet night and a perfect end, which is the prayer that's the like part of the liturgy of the hours. It's sort of Mm. the final thing that you say at the end of the prayer and so that to me is a really good little nighttime routine it takes 60 seconds it doesn't matter how tired you are or how ridiculous you are you've got 60 seconds or you know how stroppy your kids are or what little rat bags they've been you've got 60 seconds they can put up with something for 60 seconds um Mm. and um, it's a good one for teenagers too because it's then you know you only get sixty seconds of eye rolls, um, <laughs> and you know it's like even they have sixty seconds too. You can faff around on your phone or you can just take a minute to like put it away mm. and look anywhere else. Um, and I think that's really a, a big message to take home is to don't overcook it. No, um, start don't do that start either. small and you know okay if everything's going well and everybody's in a good space we'll push it a bit further but have have a basic foundation that's a bare minimum that you even on your worst possible day you can still do it yeah and that's some some advice I heard from some good friends of ours they're actually talking about it in the context of couple prayer mm. and what they adopted was I think it was the memorare they just said that every night and they said even if they'd been fighting with each other all day they could still you know brunt out <laughs> the memorare yes. and on yes. their good days they could do that and some they had just a really low baseline and so that's I think is is not a bad thing but as soon as you drop it out altogether from your yeah. routine if you make it too complicated well then you, you start skipping it. it and then the routine is broken so I think it's better to do something modest and and consistently and you know jump off to something more when uh, when the fancy takes you rather than be too ambitious and and end up coming unstuck and the other the third thing I was going to say is whatever effort you put in no matter how small or how painful it may seem to offer it God will bless it like Mm. but God needs an effort to bless so Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how small it is I mean just just do it like just do it and god will bless it that's Mm -hmm. that's a really really important like important thing to remember is that you're not doing this to you know you're not for the sake for its own sake because it's a pointless task otherwise you're doing it because you love god you're trying and regardless of what the circumstances of your family is um good you know if whether you're in a good space or not um whatever effort you put god will multiply it even if it's just five loaves and two fish or, you know, two pennies or whatever, that's, you hear that repeatedly throughout the gospel. So that's really important to lean on that and to really just make it two pennies as your bare minimum, as your, Mm. 
as your foundation point. You know, and I'm smiling because I've got this image in my mind. Um, every parent keeps sort of precious artwork and birthday cards that their kids have made for them over the years. And they're not really works of art. But oh, God, no. <laughs> we just love, we just love, it's so cute. We just love the effort. And I'm sure that's what our prayers as family must look like to God. It's like little toddler drawings that we've carefully constructed with so much love to, to give to mum on Mother's Day or dad for his birthday or whatever it is. And how much we cherish those as parents is probably reflective of how much the father cherishes those efforts from us with, with all our rough and tumble attempts at um, trying to give him praise and honour and glory in our lives and messy mm. family lives. Yes. And yeah, that's um, that's that's exact that's exactly it. And if you you ju- you just got to give it a cr- you just got to give it a crack. And if it's not working, do something, something else. else. Like mm-hmm. there's always something else you could try. There's always something else you could do. And if you've got older kids who you know are capable of giving some input, like ask them mm. as well. If they have input in it, they therefore have ownership of. If they have input, they have ownership over it, and then they're more likely to be enthusiastic to do it. And I suppose one of the other things too, I think sort of if you to take it to the next level, if you've got your foundation sort of set with a very small daily prayer routine um, and built around things you're already doing. So grace before meals is a really good one. You can do it for breakfast, lunch and dinner, or you can do it for just dinner. It doesn't really matter. You know, and you get like, you know, a little bedtime prayer to say before you all go to sleep. That's a great start. And then you can use the liturgical calendar to try out new things or to build new traditions because the great thing about liturgical seasons is that they have a beginning and they have an end. And if something's mm-hmm. not working, well, we got through it to the end of that and we're not going to do that again. That next was, year we'll try something else. <laughs> well, next year we'll try something else. And mm-hmm. um, Advent's a great one to get a taste for liturgical living in term, because it's a penitential season. Advent's a great one to start with because everybody knows about Lent. Everybody knows about Christmas and Easter and they're the fun seasons. But Advent is supposed to be a penitential season as well. And it's not usually, the lead up to Christmas is not usually treated as a penitential season. So that can mm-hmm. be a really good one to to cut your teeth in with with some of the traditions leading up to Christmas and to actually build a proper sense of anticipation and give a you know greater weight to Christmas itself and the mm. Christmas season because you know you haven't been you know pigging out at Christmas parties and you know going you know buying you know a million things and you know getting all like razzed up about it you know in the month you know, in the month leading up to Christmas, you save mm-hmm. all that for after Christmas and the actual yeah. Christmas season. And like the same thing with Lent, like maybe you take on as a penance for the family, oh, we're going to give up TV for Lent. Well, that might be a disaster because you have little <laughs> kids and you just need half an hour to cook dinner every night. You give, you give up TV and everyone gets addicted to Facebook or something. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you've got all sorts of things that you have to, you know, that you kind of have to think about. But that's the nice thing about seasons is that they just are for a season. So you can try mm-hmm. something. If it's not working, you've got the opportunity to hit the reset button and start again Mm -hmm. even if you've dropped a habit that you really like to pick up well you've got plenty of opportunities for a season to try it again the other thing that we used to do which I think worked quite well for us is that I was always just looking once I was into the mindset because I was then thinking about how to create resources to share with other families I was always just looking for opportunities of taking ordinary things and with a little bit of a twist tying it in with whatever was happening so if we were making cupcakes or we're going to bake a cake of some sort and it was the feast of say the sacred heart well how could we tie in the sacred heart to that so okay we can put a half a strawberry on the top that looks a bit like a heart and just link it in we can do things like using mini marshmallows you know to make sheep on the top of the cupcake or something like that we could if they're drawing or coloring in um, animals there's so many animals and scripture stories they could be an opportunity just to talk about Daniel and the lion's den or the good shepherd and the sheep or whatever the whatever the animal was that they were drawing there's almost some kind of link that we could take that back to or even just general saints like um, St Francis with his um, respect for the animals every animal falls under that category so even the Australian animals which don't feature in the bible stories but they could come under a St Francis story right so there was always a way to just try to link it in whether it was with what we were eating or what we were doing in terms of craft or colouring in or homework or whatever. And once you put your mind to it and you have a kind of, I guess, you start to build a knowledge of a Catholic culture, you can start to see the links and the opportunities to just tie them in. And they're they're not going to be like radical faith conversion points for the kids. It's just a way of integrating their faith into their everyday living. 
they've got to do homework and do color you know they'll do some coloring in for you know passing the time can we link that into a little message about their faith something that helps them um, be reminded every day that they are loved by god and called into a relationship with him and even to keep it to take it back to even sort of a proto sort of thing man kids will do anything for the possibility of dessert so (laughs) if you save dessert for sundays and special feast days and you only have to pick you know there's usually there's usually at least one every week in the calendar um some saying in the calendar everything you can use that even if it's as simple as you get like Mm. the usual scoop of ice cream and you dump on some appropriately coloured sprinkles. Like it could right. just, it's the, not, it, it doesn't the have of the to day. be. Right, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be ridiculously complicated. And, oh, my God, the kids, it, that'll imprint a really strong memory and a really strong positive association of, hey, this person, cool, I got ice cream. Um, or it's a Sunday, <laughs> we get ice cream. You know, like that's, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't, absolutely doesn't have to be elaborate. It just has to be something positive and something food related is always really easy to do. Everybody's got to eat, right? Yeah. Everybody's so, got to eat. So your and, essential prayer resources as a, as a Bible, a crucifix, a pair of rosary beads and an ice cream scoop. <laughs> oh, and yeah, and a tub of ice cream to go with it. <laughs> well, Kiara, get you to hold that thought. We're going to pick this up again. Listeners, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back soon. The Marriage Kit by Smart Loving is an online course for married couples wanting a lasting, passionate relationship. The course will allow you to grow in your understanding of each other and strengthen your bond with thought-provoking insights and practical skills. Research shows that relationship education can help you and your spouse improve your communication and conflict resolution skills strengthening your relationship and reducing family breakdown. Gift certificates for the marriage kit are also available if you would like to purchase the course for a friend or family member and their spouse. Visit smartloving.org forward slash marriage kit. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. I'm Francine Parola and I'm joined today by my daughter, Kiara Black. We've been talking about passing on faith in the family. And now we want to explore it in terms of the role of grandparents and our extended networks. So, Kiara, the village, we can't really do it alone. Um, nope. And we're really not meant to. And that's not really God's plan that the nuclear family be self-sufficient in terms of passing on the faith to children. Parents have a particular role, as you pointed out previously, but we also need others. We need to be growing in our own faith as well, and we need others to help us to do that. And we need to also just recognise the limits of the parent-child relationship. Sometimes our children just can't hear it from us, and that would be, I guess, particularly true when it comes to teenagers where mm-hmm. um, parents and their sort of role and authority with the, the teenager often um, really isn't so robust anymore. It's easier when they're younger to, I guess, for us to communicate and transmit values to them. But as they get to be teenagers, they're looking for other influences. So just in your experience growing up, you're now in your 30s and sort of with your own children. What was your experience as a as a teenager, you know, of the village in terms of your faith life? It's interesting because, I mean, I'm, from my point of view, my family were super duper Catholics, right? Like my grandparents <laughs> were like, you know, met the Pope, all the Popes. You know, like multiple times, they went to Rome every year. Like, you know, we were, we was we were super Catholic. So my teenage rebellion was actually going and turning out, turning into a new atheist, an insufferable new atheist. I'm so sorry, Mum. And so <laughs> she went to was, the dark side. Yeah, briefly. But she came and back. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came back. I came back because I stared into the abyss, and the abyss stared into me, and uh, I didn't like it, so I ran away. So for me, getting the extended family were kind of important because I had a witness in there of you know what it doesn't you know you're not you're not you're not crazy for believing in god um it, yeah it's yeah it's a countercultural thing but it's not in, it's not utterly ridiculous and the i mean the grandparents were always praying for you anyway and that's probably one of the mm. most powerful things that grandparents can do um because they're much closer to god than any of us frankly and so with teenagers when you've got older kids with teenagers you need to connect them with a wider community and whether that and like the parish is really really important like seeing the witness of my parish mm. and the people in my parish mm-hmm. was really valuable 
to me to understand that you can be there's no one way to be catholic the way your family does it is not necessarily the only way to be catholic and there's lots of freedom and there's lots of um lots of ways to make it your own and that's what teenagers are looking for they're looking for identity their own identity they're looking for sources of you know things that might be different to their family and then they're going to be choosing to adopt reject take on new things from other from other influences so aunts uncles and grandparents as witnesses are great resources for teenagers to kind of see some alternative perspectives and especially the depth that grandparents give and the yeah. memory that they have mm-hmm. um, can be really grounding for a teenager, especially ones that are glued to their phones and are on the uh, disembodied world of the internet. But even then, just your parish is also really important in that regard. So getting your kids plugged into networks in your mm-hmm. parish and doing doing practical things of faith, whether that's works of charity, whether that's prayer groups, if they're that if they're that way inclined, and just getting getting those network, those increasingly wider circles of influence, positive circles of influence mm-hmm. around your teenager can kind of hold them while they're doing that really messy process of puberty and identity formation and keep them close, closer. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you kind of have to let the leash go quite a ways and they go wandering off all the way over there and you have no idea where they've gone. Like if you want them to have a sense of connection back, you've got to have a rope around their waist while they go off into the into the distance and they so they can trace their way back. I'm just listening to you speak there and, and I'm thinking of how we were quite conscientious about the sorts of friendships we set you up, particularly when you were younger. Like once mm. once you're sort of teenagers in high school, you you tend yeah, to make your own decisions do. about which friends you were going to have. We were very conscious as when you were young children about the sorts of friends we wanted you to have. And so we yeah. created opportunities for you to have set up play dates and things like that with children in other families where we knew that the faith values were consistent. So even yeah. though you didn't have play dates specifically to go and do faith-based activities, it, we just knew that it would be in the space of the, in the cultural and the value system of those families. And I think you know, when we're talking about passing on the faith, there's, I guess, the explicit instruction around the catechesis of, of the theology that's there, but then there's also just a bigger thing around just an ethic and a, a values that you want to be transmitted as well. Mm. And then thirdly, one of the most important things is the actual encounter with Jesus Christ himself so that there's that personal relationship and we, we will come back to pick up on that. But I also wanted to just say the other thing that I was really conscious of because of the work that we did and we had part of our ministry, we had a little publishing business which gave us the opportunity in that to employ casually a whole lot of the parish youth group and networks mm. which you were very involved in. And it what it did is it put me into daily contact with a whole bunch of extended young people. And I was able to, I suppose, be part of the village to them and their families, particularly in terms of just the relationship coaching, which is the thing that we've, you know, we, we did it as well as this kind of little publishing business. And that was, I guess, a classic um, village environment. Like these were the kids that you'd grown up with. They were in your school, the primary school. They were in the youth group. They then came and worked for us, packing diaries and things like that. And then I was also able, you know, on the side and, and informally to just have chats with them around their relationships and give them some coaching and some advice and encouragement uh, all around, I guess, pulling in the same direction in terms of the faith. Mm. Um, I don't know if you were aware of that, but... Oh yeah, yeah. I was very. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and not to mention, yeah, you were also trying to match make too at one point. There was a bit. <laughs> that's part of the relationship coaching. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that's what I mean about the wider parish community as well. And like, and unfortunately, like you know, the social fabric that binds that sort of thing is not as thick as it used to be. So we have to make an extra effort to thicken those ties in a, and, and be a bit deliberate about it because mm. ultimately they're, they're the people we live with and mm. they're the people that we're going to live in the faith with and so you know you better get to know them because that's going to make such a difference and it doesn't even have to necessarily be strictly you know super jesusy or super dorky nerdy catholic like not everything has to be about you know living living the faith is as much going and comforting a bereaving parishioner mm. you know and you, even it's, though you might not it's even just mention community Jesus, it's relationships yeah it's going it's you know it's you know going out you know going out and having beers at the pub with the you know dad's going out for beers it's you know just it not everything has strictly has to be all about jesus you know explicitly but those th- those opportunities to make thick community connections are mm-hmm. 
super important and super important for your teenagers as well, especially teenage boys. But I remember witnessing this with my brothers where at a certain age they suddenly had a biological urge to not be bossed around by women, by their mother in particular, but not, not be bossed <laughs> around by sister. women anymore. <laughs> and, um, and that's normal and healthy for teenage boys, normal and healthy mm. for teenage boys, and they need to find – and so they're going to cast out and the grown-ups have to be ready to catch them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. take them somewhere. And, you know, girls do it to a lesser extent, but for boys it's really, really important, I think. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so whether that's okay. dad, whether that's uncles or grandfathers, it's, yeah, really important. Grown-ups, all of you, you all have a role to play. So I'm conscious, Kiara, uh, that today is, the, the day that we're recording this, is the World Day for Grandparents and the Elderly. And we've had the day today with both of your grandparents so your children's yes. great grandparents two sets which is an yes. incredible incredible yes. thing to have two two great grands two sets of great grandparents they have an extraordinary role to play yeah. not just great grandparents but grandparents generally i'm really conscious of the heartache of a lot of grandparents it comes in a couple of different forms one is is the wannabe grandparents there's there's a sort mm. of a biological clock that, that ticks for grandparents as well as for for yep. women and many of them are really longing to see their children marry and start families and are, are urgent to invest their time and attention but then there's also an, another heartache that a lot of grandparents face it's it's when their own their children have lost a sense of connection with the faith and are not passing it on to their grandchildren, even though they might have had some of that foundation in their own childhood. And so in some ways, a lot of grandparents are almost bridging the gap. And, Mm. you know, we see grandparents bringing their children, their grandchildren up to mass in our parish. And it's, it's obviously not a regular part of their own home life. And I think that's a particular gift. I mean, it wasn't something that was a gap in your particular upbringing. It's certainly something they've, you know, they've got time, they've got the wisdom, but they've also just got that longevity in the faith that I think can be a really powerful witness to that generation. Absolutely. And that's like the sense of rootedness that mm-hmm. the older generation can give. And even if you don't have grandparents, you know, adopt an adopt an older mm. an older grandchildless parishioner. Like seriously, mm. they're going to be your prayer powerhouse. They're going to be, they'd love the opportunity to be around children. So adopt one. There's lots of them. Even if you've already mm. got a set of grandparents, if they don't live near you, adopt a parish auntie. Like yes. as we yes. could, you know, as I refer to the, I refer to them as, because even if you do have grandparents in your life, you still need that, again, those additional thick community, there's thick thickness of the community and your kids will benefit too from having, mm. you know, a broader wisdom than just your biological family as well. And yes, so yes. so if you don't have grandparents or you don't have a lot of close family support, you know. Or they're not situated close to you. Or, or they're, they're not, not situated close to you for whatever reason. Like mm. seriously, like just go sit next to them. at Like yeah. go, go strategically sit them. next to one at mass and like let the children mm. do all the work, do mm. all the, you know, pester, you know, use their adorable pester power on them and melt their heart <laughs> and just <laughs> adopt them. You know, that's um because you, yes, you, you, you need a, that. You because need the that. grandparent figure isn't just ministering to your children. They're also ministering to the parents. Yes. And parents absolutely. need support and ministering as well. We'll, we'll dedicate an episode to grandparents at a later time, but I did want to call that out because today is is that world day for grandparents and the elderly. Look, just before we go to a break, I wanted to just spend a few minutes, Kiara, if you wouldn't mind, mm. on the single faith family. So obviously yes. the ideal is to have both parents on the same page in terms of their faith, but sometimes there's only one parent able or willing to take that role seriously and there can be lots of reasons it might be a temporary situation such as intense work demands you might be one parent might be working remotely and just not physically in the home for a long period such as in a military uh, background or you know the parent the other parent might be an atheist or be disillusioned in their faith what encouragement or suggestions thinking about the parent the mum or the dad who's trying to do this on their own without the active investment of the um, of the other spouse I mean, look, first, my heart goes out to you. That's tough. Um, being mm. a single parent in any regard, even if it's this particular area, is always is always tough. Lonely. Um, mm. You know, even if you're not, you know, even if you're not actually a, you know, fully single family, you are effectively a single parent in that particular right. aspect of your of your life. So that's always tough. I think the first and foremost thing is one of the things that you have to hold really close, really close to your to your heart and the forefront of your mind is that God will bless whatever effort you make but you've got to make an effort for him to bless it. And so the evangelization of your family 
is his project. The evangelization of your spouse is his project. The best thing you can do is pray and seek unity wherever you can with the other mm. person in that mat with with your with your spouse in that matter. So even if they're of no, if, even if they're athe- atheistic. There's lots of ways you can find commonality because, you know, commonality in terms of ethics and get your spouse to be on board with those kinds of ethical agreements that you do have. Mm-hmm. And your spouse backing you up, you know, even is like, look, daddy doesn't practice faith for X, Y reasons or, you know, mummy doesn't do this for X, Y reasons. But I wholeheartedly support mum slash dad taking you to church because it's important mm. um you know because it's important to them and we do things for and we do things for people that we love we make sacrifices mm. for people that we love and so that's one of the ways you can you can help negotiate you can you can negotiate that mm. one that of the disconnect. things that strikes me about the um just listening to you speak experiencing a little bit of a conviction i think it's probably a temptation for mums or for m- women more than men perhaps is that we want to fix the other person all the time and it applies especially in faith and i've had to learn to really back off you know as you know you know your dad has a deep deep faith he expresses it very differently to me and mm. i've made the mistake in the past of judging that as being underdeveloped or inferior and try to fix him that's never had a good outcome and so and it's not right it's not my job to do that it's the lord's job to help him to grow in his faith just as it's my job to open myself to the Lord growing me in my faith. And that's the thing. It's about our relationship with the Lord. We can't really raise our children, pass on the faith to our children unless our own relationship with the Lord is healthy and growing. And Mm. then it spontaneously fills into the other spaces of our life and Mm. bubbles over. And so if we focus on growing our own faith, I think a lot of other things get taken care of. We don't have to be overly controlling or orchestrated about it. It just becomes, it just sort of flows quite spontaneously. And I suppose the other thing I wouldn't, I would also be encouraging of of any spouse who finds themselves as a single faith parent is don't be afraid to say to your spouse, honestly, say, honey, I need to go to adoration. I need to do these things in order to fill myself, to fulfill this need that's really important to me. Mm. Can you help me by taking the kids so I can go have a holy half hour on, you know, Mm. a Thursday night or something? Can you help me get the kids ready on a Sunday morning so that we can all go to mass? If you ask for specific things to help fulfill the activity Mm -hmm. that needs to be done, whether that's for your personal prayer life or for the family's family's prayer life, that's really, really important to have those open and very honest conversations about your needs and about, you know, and also, you know, I mean, take into account their needs, obviously, as well, and always ask them, even if they're an atheist, how are you spiritually even if they're an atheist an atheist has a spirituality they just you know whether they acknowledge it or not they have one Mm -hmm. and it can be a really important question to even ask them how are you spiritually do you have things that you need to do or or make time for to you know grow in this in this department as well and so and yeah they might say oh no not really i'm good and that's fine like that's good you know that's a fine answer you still have to ask the question you still have the answer won't always be i'm good and that's your Mm. responsibility as a spouse regardless of what the other person is like that's really really important to ask them how they're going in that regard because if you don't things kind of go a bit can go a bit pear-shaped and needs go unfulfilled and frustrations build and well you just go talk to Francine to sort it out then um you have to go do smart loving to go sort it out and you don't want to have to do that just yet so start talking (laughs) thanks for that plug yeah we might take a we might just take a little bit of a break there listeners we'll be back soon smart loving fertility there's a smarter way to manage your fertility one that works with your body your marriage and your faith smart loving fertility is an online course based on the symptothermal method. It incorporates a unique blend of scientific insights with relationship frameworks and Catholic theology to foster intimacy and help you flourish as a couple. The course will allow you to grow closer as a couple, to raise a family and keep your marriage vibrant. Manage your fertility naturally, confidently, and with more freedom. Visit smartloving.org forward slash fertility. Gift certificates are also available if you want to purchase the fertility course for a friend or family member.
Hello and welcome listeners. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. I'm Francine Parola and our guest tonight is Kiara Black, our daughter. We've been talking about passing on the faith and now we want to um, turn our attention to a practical tool that you can take home and apply into your life. Our practical tool today is really a family prayer time activity. We call it the Trinity Prayer and it's a really simple format that we've been teaching to families and to couples for many, many years. It's it's a little bit inspired by the Ignatian Examine, which is like a daily reflection on your day's activities. And it, the Examine has five points. This has just three points and and it focuses on each of the persons of the Trinity, which is why it's called, we call it the Trinity Prayer. So the first one is to focus on the Father. And we offer prayers of thanks and praise. So this is about, this part of the prayer is really about just tapping into gratitude. And what we would usually do when we pray this with the family, and Kiara will be able to share in a moment how she remembers this playing out in our family, is we just be all gathered around for evening prayer. And we would say, let's say, okay, thank you prayers for the Father. Anything you want to be, if you want to say thanks to God for today. And each child would say something, you know, I want to say thanks to God for my friend Susie or whatever it was. And then we go to, sorry prayers for Jesus. So Jesus who is died for our sins. So we always offer our prayers of sorrow towards him. And this really operates a little bit like an examination of conscience. And so usually this was a little bit harder, but Byron and I would always go first and give an example. So we might say, I'm sorry today because I lost my temper and I shouted at one of the kids and I'm really sorry. Please forgive me, Jesus. Uh, and, you know, Byron might say something. The kids were always so attentive when it got to that. Like they mm-hmm. they might be jiggling around and doing headstands and all the things that kids do <laughs> when you're trying to say prayers, but you knew that they were listening really sharp-eared when we got to that bit. And then the final part of it is prayers to the Holy Spirit. And we just call these helping prayers. What do you want to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with tomorrow? And they, again, they were sort of a little easier. So we never made everybody say something in each part of the prayer. Uh, we kind of just sort of, you know, left it a little bit open. So often the kids every now and then would say a sorry prayer, but often they didn't. And that was okay. They were seeing it modelled. And then just finally we'd close it with a glory be. So a simple sort of Trinity type prayer. So it's a simple format. It's got flexibility. You know, you've, it's a spontaneous kind of prayer. It's not a formal prayer in the sense of it's got a specific words like the Hail Mary or the Lord's Prayer that we're sort of saying. It's got some um, spontaneous sort of conversational style in it as well. Kiara, you would have remembered us doing this as a family. What's what's your recollection? How was the experience for you? I mean, it was just what we did at bedtime. There was bedtime prayers, and I think we did it until I was about twelve. I think by the time kids sort of hit hit twelve, like teenagers, they sort of you know outgrow the sort of you, way that little kids do it. But it's really, I felt, I remember it really strongly mm. from being about you know doing you know when we, when we were basically primary school and like we were, mm. when we were all in primary school um, and all going to bed at the same time that and all going it, to bed. At the same time the only thing you got to watch is some if you've got a sassy kid they're probably going to say sorry they're probably going to prompt a sibling with a hey you should say sorry to jesus but (laughs) there was always a little bit of that the the big brother the big sister syndrome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, or even even the little even the, like the younger kids go, you know, the younger kids dobbing in an older taking the opportunity to dob in an older sibling, <laughs> and uh, but you know, so just be be beware and be you know very gentle and firm about how we actually say sorry for something mm. we did, not you know, uh, you don't say yes, sorry, don't for say other sorry people. for somebody else's sin. Because <laughs> I do remember that coming up one once or twice, but yeah, no, I always remember my favorite bit with the helping prayers for whatever reason. I don't know why. Mm. Mm. They, you know, they're always the they're always the easiest one. It's always good to sort of, you know, keep you on an upbeat after. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a it's a good little sandwich. This one, as we, you know, mm. you've got you've got the positive gratitude, you've got the sorrow in the middle, and the um, the optimism, if you like, for the end. And yeah, and in in there's lots of things about this sort of simple format that really just ticks a lot of boxes. And and one of them is is that it does. You know, they talk about actually four different types of prayer modalities. Um, thanks and praise are often differentiated. So thanks is you know of acknowledging gratitude for a specific thing, whereas praise is just calling out and and noting God's incredible glory and goodness. So it's, it's they see that, but I think we can. They're kind of of a similar thing. I think they fit well together. 
um, and then, you know, expressing sorrow and then petitions asking mm. for help. So it kind of ticks a lot of boxes. We've found it personally in our marriage to be really helpful to have something like this when we're trying to pray together as a couple spontaneously. It can be helpful to have a little bit of a framework. Mm. And while we might not do, okay, what's your help? What's your thank you prayer? What's your sorrow, sorry prayer? You know, and do it that way. It helps me, if you like, construct a bit of a prayer. So I find it's quite natural for me now when I pray spontaneously to immediately start with thanks and praise, to then look at how I fail to live up to the glory that the Lord calls me to in following him. Um, that's a sorrow, brute, and to, to conclude with some requests for help. And so it's it's sort of almost like a structure for you like they talk about the text types at school, they teach kids, you know, where you've got mm. your essay, you've got your your introduction, the body where you're making your arguments and your conclusion. It's mm. a little bit like having a structure for composing a prayer. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it also covers a lot of, um, it also is really great because it covers a huge amount of um, sensibilities, spiritual sensibilities. Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, you're more, you know, enthusiastic, extroverted, spontaneous people who mm -hmm. feel hampered in by you know the you know the who would see the rosary as rigid for example and it also covers people who really really can't think of something on the spot and get really stressed out by the thought of spontaneous prayer like i remember a you know an antioch parent couple who would literally write down their spontaneous prayers like when we would all you know like write it down because they were so stressed about just verbalizing a prayer and so mm. you know this covers a lot of bases it and it stretches people in you know the directions they need to be stretched whether they're you know people who need to have a bit of structure because they're a bit you know too much of a free spirit and go off the deep end or get too enthusiastic or whether it's someone who's really you know tight and tense about it and can just mm. learn to a good point learn to relax and let go and let some you know let the spirit flow um mm. a little bit more so i think it's a really really happy and it's also rooted and it's also rooted in a really high quality spiritual tradition as well like you mm. know saint ignatius you know is a spiritual master and he gave us an examine for a reason he made he all his he made all his people do it and um and they're still doing it fruit. Yeah, and we're still doing it today, 400 years later, and it bears a lot of fruit. So it's it's got chops. It seems simple, but it's got a lot of chops for a lot of different people at a lot of different stages of your spirituality, whether you're a seven-year-old or a, you know, to, mm. or a 21, you know, 21 or you're, you know, 80. Mm. Mm. And it helps. What we found is that the typical fallback um prayer when we first started praying with you as children was oh god bless mummy god bless daddy god bless you know we go through god bless everybody okay that's Where that it's good to right do now. that's okay that comes under the thank you prayers right but there's a whole lot more to prayer if that's all we do is we're saying god bless we also want to um, actually extend the examine aspect and extend what that we're bringing all of our life to the lord and offering all of our life um it does help you stretch into areas that Perhaps you wouldn't spontaneously think to explore with the Lord and bring into in, bring into the space of prayer. Mm. Um, so, listeners, we'll detail that up for you and put some notes and have those available on our website. But we've got sort of some other resources that we also thought was is worth mentioning. Um, we, we've mentioned previously Cath Family. That's a basically a free database, an online database that's available. It's cathfamily.org. You'll find lots and lots of ideas and resources there. It's got recipes, craft activities, printables, printables, things you can download and print out. We've got things like little plays, you know, scripts for doing, you know, performances. There's heaps and heaps of different things there. We're happy to have contributions. If you've got a great idea, you can share it with us and um, we'll draw it up and publish it. One resource that's on there that we're really love and is proud of is Cath Kids. And that's a Sunday lectionary-based resource. It's a digital resource that includes a little craft activity and a prayer, um, takes the gospel, gives, gives a little animation of the gospel and some questions to help unpack that a little bit with the kids sort of targeted sort of from the the five to sort of 11 year olds sort of primary school age uh, and that's up there at the moment that's free as well Kiara you've recently taken Mariana to Catechesis of the Good Shepherd so what, tell us a bit about that's another fabulous resource can you tell us a bit about that so Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is a is a catechesis lesson that is I mean that's a, almost a movement in its own right the founder of it is um, Sophia Cavialetti who built who took Maria Montessori's um, educational principles and then 
built them and applied them to um, teaching the faith to children. And so at teaching the faith to children, so Mariana goes to the little kid um, session. So Maria Montessori's understanding of development, you have a set numbers, you know, sort of planes of development. You've got zero to three, three to six, six to uh, nine and nine to 12, and then 12 to 15 and 15 to 18. So she's got them in sort of um, three. So Marianne's in the three to six, and it is astonishing. They go to the atrium, which is what they call the room where they do it. And the room is set up perfectly for little kids to find their way around and do things with their hands that are overt and subtle sort of things about the faith. So even something as simple as um, an activity where Mariana was scooping dried, you know, legumes into from one cup into the other, the legumes were chickpeas. Chickpeas is a foundational Good legume in Middle Eastern cuisine. All over the Holy Land. Yeah, exactly, in Middle Eastern East. Exactly, you know, she and then she, you know, got a jug of lentils and was pouring those in. And, you know, there was, and it was just astonishing. They all do it in in silence there's just a quiet hum of maybe a catechist whispering through you know some directions for a particular activity but otherwise like it's just a bunch of kids under four quietly working away unpacking the little mass kit and you know dressing an altar the way it's supposed to be dressed Mm. and just sometimes they just sit there and just stare at it for 45 minutes Mm. and that's all they do and then they pack it up and move on to the next thing so it's just like it's just a beautiful environment. And Mariana was a transformed kid. Like just sitting mm. observing it as a parent was powerful. Just mm. watching these kids be independent and productive and in their element, in their zone, mm. and really, you know, sort of working stuff, you know, really working stuff out. And the um temptation is to always sort of jump in when you see them sort of struggling. And so, you know, you really had to sit, you really have to sit them out and sit and wait for the kid to either figure it out or you know maybe ask for some help and so mm. but it's just it was just it was just profound it was actually a really profound experience seeing my little girl find her own you know find her own self and she came mm. out of that a much more peaceful child a mm, much beautiful. more a much more peaceful and centered and mm. me having watched it went oh okay there's a bit of a spell going on here and then I broke it later in the afternoon by yelling at someone because I got really stressed out but anyway that's my stuff maybe um, you need to go to catechist the good do they do it for adults yeah right um yeah right I mean I wish they, they probably should actually but I mean one of the hear- things I've always appreciated about Catechist of the Good Shepherd, because I read Sophia, what's her name, Cavaletti's book. Yeah, Cavaletti's, yeah. When I was a young mum, that are just the great reverence for the spirituality of the child. Mm. And what it, I guess, helped me to just internalise is that we don't as parents give the child their spirituality. It's innate to them. Yes. We're just creating the opportunities in the environment for the Lord to have that natural inclination nurtured and developed and it's a bit like a child will learn how to speak we we they've got the the intellectual and the mental and the neurological structures to learn how to to interpret language our role as parents is to expose them to language so that they can those networks can be formed it's a similar kind of thing i think um to just sort of draw analogy and to take our kind of a approach of well, we're like the gardener who's just watering the, the the seeds. It's got the child has got everything she needs or he needs in order to know and love the Lord. We just need to create that opportunity where that is nurtured, and um, and then they'll do the growing on their own. And um, and just you know, a profound, profound, deep respect for the child, the child's human dignity, which mm. is a which when Maria Montessori was creating her philosophy, her educational philosophy, her educational principles, that was a radical notion, mm. and really, it still is. Yes. And as yeah. Christians, we are called to respect the dignity of human life, and that starts at you know in the womb. And so mm. it was a real Powerful. you know lesson to me mm. as a parent of just you know what treasure I have. Um, in my children and what a you know what a gift they are and how much how much work I kind of have to do to really ensure that I am living the Christian principle and the Catholic social teaching of respect for human dignity because if you're not doing it in your home you're not doing it anywhere else either so Mm -hmm. you know just I mean yeah talk about a great big piece of humble pie for Mm -hmm. (laughs) mummy yes it reminds me I think uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta who said when asked about world peace, she said, let the let the father smile at the mother and the mother smile at the father or something like that. It was just around the simple act of kindness and respect for the dignity in the home, starting in the home and the most fundamental yeah. relationships. 
Look, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back shortly to do our Smart Loving Q&A. Smart Loving Newlywed. If you are recently married, one of the most important things you can do for your marriage in its first year is to establish a habit of regular couple time. Smart Loving Newlywed is designed to help you do this. The content is drawn from Smart Loving's acclaimed relationship courses, which are used by thousands of couples. They explore timeless themes and are full of practical strategies. We want to help you establish simple lifestyle habits that will nourish your intimacy and protect your relationship from decay. Once a month, you will get an email in your inbox exploring the topic and detailing an activity for you to do as a couple. This includes some individual reflection questions, instructions for sharing together, and something to do during the week. Schedule a regular date night with your spouse where you can explore the topic together over dinner or a glass of wine. Visit smartloving.org forward slash newlywed to enroll today. Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for Smart Loving Question and Answer. This is a question we often get from engaged couples. Can we write our own wedding vows? Uh, So the short answer is, um, dear engaged couples, is no. Not if you're marrying in the Catholic Church. I think it's really important to acknowledge that this question comes from a space of a desire to make the wedding vows really personal and very relevant. And that's an important um, desire. So we, we suggest other aspects of the liturgy that can be personalised. So in, in our course where we have thousands of couples go through every year, we always turn them back to the wedding vows uh, as they are um, defined by the Catholic Church, but suggest that they really get to know what's happening in the liturgy because there's lots of other places. For example, they can choose their own scriptural readings where their personal touch can be made manifest. Kiara, what about you? What's What's some of your thoughts on this question? I mean, we, I mean, obviously we got married in the Catholic Church and it was a great relief for me to not have to make up wedding vows um, because <laughs> there there was already something of deep meaning, of deep heritage, of deep tradition that you're tapping into. And that was really, really, and that was, that was something that I really appreciated about the wedding vows. Mm. And it also is because you've got to tick a certain number of boxes, you've got to well, tick certain number of boxes, but, in, you know, like this comes down to, you know, what are you actually doing when you get married? And the fact that you are entering into a tradition, a human tradition, as well as a you know, Christian as well as a Christian and a spirit, a Christian tradition. You are really entering into something that has been distilled into a series of vows of mm. what exactly it is you're doing, and so that structure I think is just powerful. And that's what the point of the liturgy, right? The liturgy is not there for us to make us feel good about ourselves. It's to give glory to God, and the liturgy should impact us not necessarily the other way. You know, we should conform mm. ourselves to the liturgy, not the other way, you know, not necessarily the other way around, even if we can, you know, do some things around the mm-hmm. edges. And, you know, the wedding rubrics are great for that because I don't think there's any rubrics that are more flexible um, than the wedding than the wedding um, liturgy is in some regards because you can pick your own scriptures. You can, as long as, you know, you have a first reading, a psalm, a second reading and a gospel reading. Um, mm. You can pick your antiphons even for, yes. you know, communion yeah, quite and your f- entrance antiphon. There's um, quite a few um, options. So it, 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 you can write your own prayers of the faithful, for example. They've, there's yes. a pretty open book on those ones. But often some of the main prayers, like I think there's two or maybe three nuptial blessings that you, you can, can choose, choose which one you prefer. Um, a, a lot of the spaces in it, there's options that the engaged couple can um, choose from them. And so we always try to suggest they, they focus on those. But also, I guess, theologically, when we talk about a, um, a sacrament in the church and wedding or marriage is a sacrament, There's they talk about matter and form. There's two essential elements. Um, that just means uh, words and, um, and, the, and the action of the gesture. So, um, you know, in baptism, we've got the words of I baptise you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and those words the, have I to be... I baptise you. I baptise you, that's right. Those words have to be really precise for the validity of the sacrament. And then the gesture in baptism is the pouring of water. So in wedding, those the vows speak to the, the form. And for the marriage to be valid, it needs to conform to those precise words, the vows itself. I kind of like to help couples to connect 
with the tradition of that, the millions upon millions of couples who have used those words to pledge their vows. So you're connecting in as a couple to something bigger. The aspect of individuality, there's lots of other occasions, not just in the liturgy, but even in the wedding itself, to bring in your unique uh, flavour through, you know, the colour scheme that you choose, the types of flowers where you hold your reception, um, all the other little events that occur around the process of getting married. All of those are occasions to express individuality. And I think it's important to to have some individuality. We're not cookie cutters. So I think that's, that I want to affirm that desire to be creative and unique in the the wedding, but also to connect with that central part of the vows that that ties us into a tradition that connects us with, you know, billions of couples that have gone before us and will come after us. Uh, And to see that rather than fight against that, to just see that as a plus. Hmm. I mean, even within the even within the vows themselves, there are several ways you can say the vows, depending on, you know, you, your spouse and, you know, how nervous you get. Like if you're both, you know, Mm. two shut-ins, for example, and you're too nervous to say anything other than like a couple of words in front of all your family and friends, you can have the priest ask you questions and you say, I do, instead of you saying them, you know, all the way out loud, for example. So there's even like there's some wiggle room. But the structure and the words themselves are really, really important because mm. you you have to know what you're getting yourself into. You have to know what you're saying and you have to say it plainly and clearly. And that's mm. what those vows do. Mm. Mm. And they become a and, reference point for you. Yes. For when times are tough, like, you know, you say, you know, uh, you know, I will I will love you, you know, in sickness and in health for better or, you know, for better or worse in sickness and in health. You know, I will love you until death do us part. Like that's a, you know. That becomes a reference. It's hard point to for top you. that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know, do but, you really but think- isn't that a, it's a beautiful instinct that we we see some couples who actually want to add more into it and be more specific. So one of the things that one of the little activities that um, we cover in our course, it, it's not our original activity. It comes from our colleagues um, in the United States, Ron and Kathy. But to take each line of the wedding vows as part of and individually. Um, each fiance to reflect on what that means to them. So when it says, I will love you for richer, what do you mean by for richer? It's not just talking about material wealth. We're talking about, you know, the, the times when I feel blessed. I'm going to love you in those times when I'm blessed and I'm pumped and I'm on a high and maybe you're not. Or for poorer, what does that mean? Um, to do, And to unpack it because then when they say it, those words, it sort of becomes like, a summary statement of a whole statement of love that's got a lot of depth and richness that they've put their own words on and shared with each other ahead of time. And we found that to be a really effective way to help them approach the wedding vows with a real, I guess, sense of a deeper understanding of what they mean for them, but also to, again, just reinforce the the sense of connection with the the wider church. And I think it's also really important too to say that, you know, your wedding is not just about you as well. Mm. Your wedding is for everyone else. It's a community celebration. It's a community yeah. celebration. It's a public declaration that you and your fiancé are coming together to form a new branch of the family kind mm. of thing. You are – and so it's really – so having – you know, it's not just about you. Yes, you can – you know, some of your own – unique tastes into the wedding but the liturgy is not always the place for that because your wedding's not necessarily about you anyway mm-hmm. and so i think it's i mean i mean we're, we're in a really materialistic super hyper individualistic phase right now and i think it can be really helpful and freeing to know that hey you don't have to reinvent the wheel and make your own meaning there's meaning already here that you can just use and tap it's into. a bit like going to the restaurant. They've got the degustation or the set menu. I love yeah. that. I'm, set I've got, I get decision fatigue. I just want to, I want somebody to say, this is what you're having. And <laughs> like, it, great. Yeah. I don't have to make a decision. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, everyone goes to Macca's, right, and orders the exact same thing, right? Nobody, like, you know, how many people do you know go to Macca's and order the exact same thing? They don't try the new fangled, you know, (laughs) Macaws spicy twisty thing or whatever. They just go and get the quarter pounder and that's it. And they do that because they love it and it's safe. Um, And it's there and it will always be there. Mm -hmm. And it will always be there. And that's kind of like what your wedding vows are. 
Your so, favorite so listeners, if you've got questions for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit smartloving.org slash conversations and you can um, contact us there and send us your question. Before we sign off, we want to, um, as we usually do, just share a blessing with you. So my blessing this week or this time is a focaccia recipe. I will post it on the um, on our website. But it's next level focaccia, super, super easy. For those of you who are bread makers, it's very hydrate hydration. It's about 90%, over 90%. I think I calculate 92% hydration. So it's a very wet dough, but it's just next level. It's delicious and really, and really easy. I can vouch for the deliciousness of it. I think a, bless a simple blessing for me at the moment is watching my two girls yesterday explore the new bunk bed we got for um, the older one. Um, and the two older girls were having a grand old time trying to work out how to go up and down the ladder <laughs> um, <laughs> unassisted and finding cubby holes and all sorts of other great things. So simple joys, kids in bunk beds. There we go. Batch maids in heaven. There we go. So that brings us to the end of our time together. You can find more information, including links to our blessings, show notes and more at smartloving.org slash conversations. I'm Francine Parola from Smart Loving with special thanks to our guest, Kiara. Thank you so much for joining us. And no we pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints. Our Lady Andur of Knots. Pray for us. St. John Paul II. Pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye.